Hello and welcome to the Queen Trail podcast. Queen Trail, a woman who emphasizes a life of passion expressed through personal style, leisurely pastimes, charm, and a cultivation of life's pleasures. I am Syl Annan, and I invite you to join me in exploring and savoring life's riches and the beauty that surrounds us. In the company of friends, we can laugh, discover, appreciate, and support each other. So I hope that you will join me where I will talk about everything that makes up the rich and diverse fabric of a delightful life. Let's cultivate vibrant conversation together. Welcome. Hey, welcome back. I've had such a busy week with some great surprises and some not so great ones. Every day's a mixed bag, right? Forrest's mom was right. Life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. But regardless, there is always something sweet at the center. And one of the best surprises and sweetest surprises this week was from my friend Don Atwood. He's a world traveler, sailor, explorer, scientist, foodie, musician, and just an all-around adventuring renaissance guy with an enormous zest for life and an easy smile that has carried him through an exciting six decades and counting. He's fresh off of his latest adventure sail and multi-months long stay in the Sea of Cortez and Mazatlan, Mexico, and he stopped into my little hub of the world before heading off to his home in Colorado so we could have lunch. Unfortunately, a worrisome surprise cut our lunch short, but not before I got some audio to kick off my In the Company of Friends talks. My mom fell during her daily two-mile walk with my dad, and she was taken to the ER. She is recovering now with a few bruises and some stitches, but she's a tough lady, and she told me this morning that she is comfortable in getting around. I love my parents, and I owe so much of my strength and perspective of life to them and to friends like Don. During our talk, we touched upon several subjects, including the famous or infamous, depending on how you view, the Myers-Briggs test. It's a personality typology test that assigns four dominant personality traits and which has seen its share of controversy. I've taken the test before as a passing interest, and while Don and I were talking, I couldn't remember what the letters were that had been assigned to me in the past. But during my sporadic forays into online dating, I have noticed that some men rely heavily on this test in looking for a partner, often while completely ignoring their lack of preparedness for entering into a relationship. But that is another story. It's piqued my interest to retest myself. And after my conversation with Don, I did just that. I can see what the draw is. It seems to have pegged me pretty well and provides impressive qualities of each trait and desirable jobs that your personality type would do well in. Interestingly enough, there are things that I'm either proficient at or that I've thought about doing. Among them are writer, entertainer, journalist, gardener, scientist. These are all subjects that I excel in and enjoy. There's also architect, physician, and airplane pilot, all of which I've thought of doing. The results provide a confident sense of self with positive traits such as creative, imaginative, logical, appreciate science, empathetic of others, independent, intuitive, philosophical, crafty, 
there's literally pages and pages of results that include how you learn best, which side of the brain you rely on, and of course, your personality type. I'm an ENTP or extroverted, intuitive, thinking, perceiving personality. And apparently a rarity among women. The quote is, ENTPs make up only 4.5% of all 16 personality types and are the least common of them all. One in every 16 male is an ENTP, while only one in every 33 females is one. And that's only 3% of all females. Female ENTPs are one of the most rare type gender combination, end quote. So ENTPs are known as an originator with an intellectual temperament. <laughs> I like that. And I like to think that's me. But while the title originator basically states that I can't be boxed in, I still take the results with a grain of salt, which you'll hear in my comment to Don that were I to take this test in a different frame of mind and circumstances, I really believe I could come up with different results. I do worry that tests like these, no matter how positive or flattering the final report is, tend to box people in to specific categories, which can be harmful. And some of the things that I don't like specifically about this test is that it doesn't provide a gender spectrum and it relies on commonly held, antiquated, gender beliefs, such as this one, quote, there are significantly more male ENTPs than there are females, with males outnumbering females two to one. One of the reasons that there are more males is that males tend to be thinkers, while females are often feelers. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> still looking at my results, I definitely like to grow into and emulate some of these amazing characteristics. I might go into greater depths with these results a little later on another podcast, but for now, I'd like to invite you to join Don and me in a wonderful conversation where we'll cover everything from the Meyer Briggs to travel, especially in Costa Rica, retirement, purpose, music, and cocaine hippos. Cocaine hippos. Yes. And I'd like to apologize right now for the quality of this audio. It was impromptu last minute. As I said, this was a surprise. So there is some background noise that I was unable to erase. So I do hope that you will stay with us through the conversation. Join us as a friend, grab a cuppa, and welcome to the company of friends. Through my career, you know, all these like corporate management and things, they're always trying to make better managers. And uh, so they give you the Myers-Briggs test. And it was to sort of understand how to deal with other difficult people, or maybe you're the difficult person. <laughs> but but I've, always, I've always come up as the same thing. I'm INTP, but from a statistical standpoint, I represent something like 5% of the population or whatever. And, but I do think, you I, are a unicorn. I, well, I, 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 I do think there is some cool predictive stuff there because it tells you what would be a good occupation for you. And occupation-wise, there's two, one, at least one of the tests or one of the test uh, descriptors was talking about good careers for an INTP and said you should either be a scientist or a submarine captain, which sound like two really weird, incredibly diverse things. 
I could see the connection between those two. I mean, they're both very cerebral positions and require a lot of analysis. That's where I'm seeing the connection. It, well, I wound up being a scientist and I had very seriously considered Navy and going, you know, as a submariner. And if I was going to do that, of course, I'd want to be the captain. <laughs> so so I, I, I thought, wow, you know, they, they kind of nailed it. That was, uh, that was interesting. But I have used the test. I, I, you know, I've been early in a relationship sometimes, and you'll go, I'm just kind of curious. Have you, have you ever done it yourself? I've taken it, but I don't remember what my letters were. And I imagine, personally, if I took it, depending on the time period of my life, I would probably end up with something different every time, and I wish that I knew what I had come up with before to test that theory. I, I would be, okay, I bet it would be the same. You, you feel like you change, but maybe, you know, it's, it's perhaps be, uh, behavior versus your internal thoughts about yourself, but I, my hunch would be you stay pretty much the same. And what's interesting, though, is when they, uh, relationship-wise, there's, there's lots of articles about how, like, an INTP will get along with an ES... FS. F, FS, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting. They'll, they'll highlight what the strengths of the relationship would be or, or where things can run afoul. That is cool. I did do... Oh boy, I can't remember what the name of the personality test is, but it was really in-depth and it was through one of the bigger universities um, and it's just a continual study and it, it was leading towards how to build happiness into your life because, you know, you actually have to work towards happiness. It's not something that you can buy. And, you know, like my theory on happiness is that when you find meaning, you find purpose and from purpose you find happiness. It has some interesting aspects to it, but again, it's been so long that I just don't recall what it had to say about me. Okay, so that, that makes me worried then, because I'm sort of wondering about purpose. You retire. If you retire from an active career of, in my case, like 40 years in science and management and whatnot, where you feel the purpose of going to work each day, responsibility to other people, tasks, expectations, and when you retire, all of a sudden, all those things disappear entirely. And... I became a sailor, which gave me an ostensible purpose, keeping my boat, fixing my boat, moving it. But at some point, you know, you get used to that, and it's no longer the challenge. And then you have to ask the question, what's your purpose? And I think a job, no matter how mundane it is, does afford you with a sense of purpose. You're the breadwinner. You're bringing money home for your family. I don't have a family. I don't have a job any longer. I'm, you know, I'm financially secure. And I can do almost anything, which should be the sense of incredible freedom, and it is, but there are moments that make you sort of um, ponder, what's your purpose in life? And I think, I agree with you, I think you do need purpose, and I think happiness might come out of that. Well, I think that you make your purpose a lot of times, you know, you find what's meaningful, you know, just all of the places that you've been able to access through sailing, and meeting new people and we spend a lot of time living in the different areas the sea of cortez and you were in uh, over in guatemala for a while right, right. so um i think that that is uh, building purpose into various things yeah. actually I, some purpose has come from an interesting direction i never i can't sing worth a damn either they're supposedly everybody has a voice and everybody can sing and maybe that's true, and in which case, I'd love to be able to sing, because I write lyrics to songs. But if you heard me sing right now, you'd, you'd, you'd quickly leave the restaurant. <laughs> um, 
but I discovered I discovered playing instruments. I started off the ukulele. God, the ukulele was cool, but guitar makes the ukulele feel like some primitive instrument. It's clunky, it's awkward, it does there's no it just doesn't resonate. And the guitar is such an incredibly beautiful instrument. I'm just wowed, absolutely floored, and I've composed my first side, song which I've I have on my on my phone. I, I wanna play it for oh, a yeah, little bit later. Definitely. Uh, but it's just it's like I do feel like music has opened up a new world. It's challenging, it's theoretical. Uh, it's creative, and I, that's, that may actually pull me out of any possible despair from not knowing my purpose in life. At least it gives me challenges and something where I can sort of feel like I can excel in my own little way. And Absolutely, and it's beautiful, everything that you sent me. And you just reminded me when you said that um, there's a lot of mouth-to-mouth uh, uh, formulations that go into being able to play is when I was taking music theory class, the professor mentioned that back in ancient times, they wouldn't let anybody learn how to play an instrument until they had gone through a number of math courses. And I can see when you actually understand something in math, it's really just so elegant and beautiful. And I think music moves on from that. Maybe on the rhythmic side, but there's also the creative, you've got the writing skills. Have you ever, do you write poetry? You write great stories, but have you ever tried to write lyrics or poetic lyrics? I have tried poetry. Um, in fact, I have a, a cute little Christmas uh, poem that I might put up on the website, okay. uh, which was really fun. But yeah, you know, I look at I look at music as modern day poetry because you don't find a lot unless you're looking at music, and then there's poetry all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, it's being good for me. It gives me that sense of purpose. And it's one of those things that you go, I'll never achieve, I'll never be, I'm not going to be super good at. I don't have enough time left in my life. But it's something that I can probably carry as long as my fingers move and I've got enough dexterity to play. It's something I'll do hopefully to my dying day. And that's, that's exciting. It's fun. I'm also spending a heck of a lot of money on instruments. I know. I own three ukuleles, uh, a really expensive one, an electric one, and a travel ukulele. And now I'm proud of two guitars, and I see one or two or three in my future. So. Are they all acoustic, or do you have uh, some? There's a couple of two, a couple of an electric uk and an electric guitar. Wow. That looks real badass, and uh, <laughs> and an acoustic that's just absolutely beautiful. And I was even to get. Uh, it was even the, what they have, uh, they call it cajones. Have you ever seen those? Or do you know what they are? It's a box that you sit on, and you play with your hands, and you, you hit like in the corner, and it's a snare drum, and you hit in the middle, it's a bass drum. So it's like a portable drum set that's fairly compact. You could carry it to a party or something and become like a one-man ginger baker, you know, with, with wow. a full drum set. And you're just you got you're bringing your seat along with you. Just sit on top of it, right? And you you play away. So what I envision, I'd love for this to happen. Is the room, the downstairs room in my house has this stunning view of the mountains, and I'd love to have like a little music salon where where people they don't have to be great at it, but just enthusiastic. Oh, that would be so wonderful. Like, shake a tambourine, play the cajon, play the guitar, break out an ukulele. And have a I'll place. be your whistler. Yeah. I can whistle. Can you whistle? <laughs> okay, do, do you know the artist LP? Yes. Oh, okay. I love LP. She, boy, yes. can, she can whistle. Yes. There, there's, yeah. there's, there's a YouTube video where basically she does a whistle off with some guy who challenges her to whistle. And he just gets blown away. They, they, they pick uh, the magic flute. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, uh, the, from Mozart. Yeah, but which um, the uh, witch. The witch. Yeah, what's but what's what's her style? It's um, coloratura. Coloratura. Yes, that that piece. It's the color, beautiful coloratura. Oh piece. my goodness! The I night, have to see that. And and she whistles that just stunningly, and the guy's kind of left just stammering. Wow! Wow! Okay, person. I cannot, I definitely cannot whistle that well, and I will be checking that but, out. But I That's think awesome. you should watch that and begin practicing. I mean, there's hope for you. Okay. <laughs> hope is a good thing, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I would fly to Colorado to to uh, be part of that, or at least to spectate. You know? Well, it's it's also it's a lovely contemplative place. I've got 110 acres. And it's one of those places you just go hike, and you every you can hike every day and see something different. You'll find, okay, for instance, there might be an elk that dropped one of its antlers, and you, you're just walking through a bush, and there's this magnificent elk antler sitting there, um, or or scat from a, a black bear, and it's fresh or steaming even. Right. So you know there's life, there's life <laughs> so all around you. So you know where you. to step, where not to step. That's so beautiful. So uh, do you collect those antlers? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll do something with. Them. I'm not quite sure what, but they're fun to collect. Yeah. Maybe you can make a big arch eventually, like the one in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> that may take a while, <laughs> but I'll, I'll work on it. But that's that's a good plan. No, I definitely want to come and visit. And it, does it get snow then? It, it gets snow over Christmas. Well, well, even summertime, on, a, on on certain days, it'll snow up on the mountaintops. So you're down in beautiful sunshine, 70-some degrees, and the mountains that seem like they're, they're, well, they're literally just a couple miles away are completely snow-capped. So that's gorgeous. wasn't planning on returning so late in the season. I've got, I'm returning with flip-flops, shirt pants, and a whole bunch of t-shirts from, from Mexico. So... I, I'm kind of hoping it's not too cold by the time I arrive. There. I was just thinking, what a huge contrast coming from sunny Mexico and going into a snowy place that's going to be pretty crisp and cold. It's nice to be experiencing the elements of nature. When I was younger, I, I sort of would contemplate what I would be. Well, first off, I thought I'd probably never make it to age 60, so so much of that one. <laughs> I'd be able to beat that one, but I did sort of ponder the, the kind of person I'd like to be, and I'm happy to say that in some ways, my hopes for have have been fulfilled. Um, and, but one aspect of that was kind of the desire not to be living just one place. I wanted a more interesting life. And through kind of this weird default, I've wound up possibly with two homes, an aquatic one and a mountain one. Did you have this vision of what Sil would look like in 20, 30, 40 years? I, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I was, first of all, first generation American from a Hispanic household, and so my aspirations were to grow up and be a mom, and that was it. I didn't really have much of a vision of where I would be until uh, my teenage years, and then, you know, I thought, I'm going to live by the beach somewhere, and I've always felt, for a really long time, I felt anyway, that I wouldn't want to live anywhere where the beach wasn't easily accessible to me. And I've been very fortunate to live my whole life either in the South Bay or the Harbor area. And now I kind of feel like having traveled, you know, to many places in the world and many places in the United States that are just incredibly gorgeous and nowhere near the beach, that as long as I'm somewhere beautiful where there's a forest near me, a lake, a river, um, just some some gorgeous part of nature, I would be okay. Yeah. 
I wouldn't want to live in the inner city, although I love downtown Los Angeles. I love looking at the architecture, the history that's down right. there, all of the culture that's over there. That's where we tend to go. I'm going to be down there actually this coming weekend. And a couple of times I've mentioned to Sophie, I think I can live here. Some of those condominiums that are there are really beautiful inside. Yeah. But I don't know that I would like it. I don't know. I've always lived in a house. I've always had a yard. I love gardening. Right. And um, I don't know that I would do well in a condominium in the middle of a city. I, well, well, knowing what you've done in your backyard with your turtle and tortoise and, and your garden and whatnot, yeah, it might have been a bit could be a bit of a stretch but despite all your qualifications for what you consider you wind up actually doing what you want to do your mom a good mom and you live near the beach right so in a way it, it was fulfilled it was it's just now maybe, maybe you're ready for the next step or something a little bit different absolutely yeah you know i've thought about a, a small home somewhere in costa rica really after this last trip it was just such a phenomenal place and you know it's where my family's from and just I did not mind. You woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you were going to get an icy, cold, unpleasant shower that, you know, you took two minutes in and, you know, we're really concerned. That's a great way to get people to conserve get, water. Get your day going. Get your day going. <laughs> Wakes you up better than coffee. But um, we went to so many places and it's just, uh, just seeing the diversity of each city and what they all had to offer. And there's some that are, you know, very centralized. And one of them was almost like going to a Bavarian town okay. with some tropical elements to right, it, right. you know. And so it was not near the beaches. And that, I think, was kind of, it's called Salcedo. And that was probably my favorite little town there. Although I did like everywhere else we were at. And I, I would love to have a little house there. I think one of the things that you get from traveling to other parts of the world is an appreciation for where you do live. Mm -hmm. Just the standard luxuries that we have here. Yeah. And so um, I like that a lot. And then you learn, you know, you bring some of the things that you like from these other places back mm -hmm. with you, a little piece of that. So. I, we, we've been to some of the same places in Costa Rica. I like I like the national parks on the coast. And we saw the crocodiles. Yeah. And of course <laughs> the monkeys and the sloths and the beautiful birds and whatnot. And that was cool. But some of the fondest memories actually was in the interior of the country up in the volcanoes there was there i went to a little finca it was a bed and breakfast and stayed there there was hummingbirds and surrounded by beautiful forest triple canopy forest and rode horses up to the crater the caldera that was steaming with all sorts of uh sulfurous vapors and whatnot yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was very, very beautiful. That's one of their active ones. Really enjoyed that one. Wow. Now, the only... Costa Rica, it does feel... Well, it's expensive compared to some of the other Latin countries. It is. And there's there's perhaps a little too much taint of Americanism there. That's my only concern. There is. It's, it's very... Um, it's something that Americans have really adapted to and created all of these ecotourism. Yeah. Um, outfits that you know they're great and all of that but they are very Americanized and it, it has the danger of erasing the culture of the place because you're going from an American place to another place that feels American even if it doesn't look that way so one of the super nice things is that 
because my family lives there, I got the Costa Rican okay, perspective right, of the country right. when we went there. You know, so did Sophie. Well, they're a little big on the manufactured ventures with things like that, and I've done them. They're they're fun. But I, I, I've always preferred authentic adventures versus kind of the manufactured fake Absolutely. thrills that you get out of, you know, being strapped onto something that might feel unsafe, but there's, you know, not a chance in hell that you're going to ever hurt yourself. Right. There were a couple of days where we were just going on an adventure on our own, right. and I contacted a really wonderful agency. I'll put the notes in the show notes section. Yeah. So we went, and it looked like we were going into Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. We finally got over to the gondolas that rode over the canopy of the rainforest for about an hour, and it had just poured the day before. So it did rain while we were up there, and of course we're in the rainforest. Uh, there was a tropical storm coming in, so that was a little bit scary. But safest, safest ride I've ever been on. Um, and then we ended up going to a river that was over near Nicaragua. Right had lunch in this really fabulous place and it was supposed to end with a walk around the river that had turned into whitewater rapids right. very quickly because there was so much rain coming down and it's pretty impressive the amount of water that came down here. If we were there another hour we would have gone stuck and not been able to return to my aunt's house. But there are some some good uh, fabricated well, 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 having said there's one that I loved and it was a, it was a river float trip. And it was just, it was a big raft that could hold maybe 12 people. Everybody was given a paddle, and we went down with, it was supposed to be class five. I'm not sure if it really was that, but it was just, it was beautiful. There was the, like, the little poison dart frogs around. Uh -huh. There were fallen trees that we would slip beneath, and there were fast stretches and slow lolling sections just through this beautiful, verdant forest. It was, it was pretty stunning. I really, something very special. And I do appreciate the fact that the Costa Ricans are working to preserve it, um, whereas some other countries don't. Um, right. I think it's something like 80% of the country is a biological preserve. Yeah. And one of the things that I also appreciate in that regard is that they closed down all of their zoos. So it's one of the first countries that has absolutely no animals in captivity other than those that must remain in captivity because they are unable to fend yeah. for themselves out in the wild. Yes. While we were on that same adventure I was just talking about, we went through a little area that had some snakes and some poison dart frogs, and they had little notes on there. You know, we were actually confiscated from, you know, drug uh, dealers and that sort of thing. And they sure. actually had the list on there of where exactly which, these Which drug dealer had, like, El Chapo's hippopotamus or something. Exactly. Oh, my yeah. gosh, those uh, cocaine hippopotamuses. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, I think giraffes and things. He, giraffes, zebras. He, he brought them all from all of these different places. Sophie and I were talking about it because, you know, now they're trying to figure out they have proliferated. Who knew that hippopotamuses could proliferate to that extent that they're actually damaging the natural flora of the area? They're badass animals. They really are. And they're dangerous. They're Very dangerous. so dangerous. What's, what's the key buffalo and hippopotami are the two, I think, dangerous, most dangerous species on Earth. We think great white sharks and lions, but no, it's, it's these two things. Can you imagine being charged by one of those? Well, or, or I, saw, I saw an amazing video. It was these folks, they're in a, uh, they're in a, a little motorboat going along at a good clip. And it was like something out of a Steven Spielberg movie. There's this bulge in the water that was chasing after them. No, this giant bulge. 
and the thing was going really fast. I mean, these fat little things with their <laughs> stubby little legs can really move when they're oh, underwater. Yeah. And these guys were gunning the engine trying to get out of there because they're absolutely me. terrified. They had like a 50-horse engine, and this, this bulge of water was <laughs> catching up on them. So, oh, my gosh. You know, yeah, that could be. Thank, thank you, El Chapo. So. Oh, that, that is pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, we're actually helping them to provide contraceptives mm -hmm. that would prevent these hippopotamuses from creating more yeah. little hippopotamuses. And we're using contraceptive for deer. Right. Okay. Got to scale the deer. Like injecting and, cord into them or something. So. Right, and then there's the issue of trying to also neuter or space some of them. That's so a job I don't want to have. <laughs> I do not want to neuter a hippopotamus. I'm that sorry. Would, that would be that's a, a bad job. Dangerous. Yeah, yeah. That would be a, a not good job to have. Yeah. Or, don't, or, don't bring animals from or, other parts of the world or, or, into or, your Or you take uh, you take the other approach and you, you employ human hubris and you decide to counteract one little threat to society or nature. You bring in another one. There was something on Facebook. It was kind of funny because people actually believed it. There was there was some place I don't recall where where there was a threat of um, of um, uh, great white sharks, and there have been some attacks on people and there was real concerns. So, in all seriousness, it was proposed that the best solution really would be to simply bring in and cultivate and encourage the growth of saltwater crocodiles because apparently saltwater crocodiles um, don't like sharks, and it's been it's been statistically proven that wherever there's uh, saltwater crocodiles, there's very few shark attacks. <laughs> I don't think that should be encouraged. Yeah, let's let's replace the sharks with uh, these saltwater crocodiles that are also man-eaters. <laughs> yeah, those, those attempts to fix nature don't usually work out either. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed that. Please stay through the end notes so that you can enjoy a composition by Don. And as always, thank you for listening. I am the Queen Trell. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information on this show. And you can find me at thequeentrailpodcast.com as well as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, under the same name. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I'm constantly adding links, recipes, playlists, and much more. I also welcome your questions and suggestions. You can email me at thequeentrailpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I wish you passion, grace, elegance, and beauty. <laughs>